You are correct in uh, assuming that there is very little voter fraud in Minnesota. I think that the Supreme Court acknowledged that. Welcome to the DFL Debrief, and thank you, Minnesota Republican Senator Scott Newman, for that introduction and for admitting what we all know, that there is no widespread voter fraud in Minnesota. So why are Republicans pushing for voter ID here? We'll get to all of that and more on this week's show. My name is Brian Evans. I'm the DFL Party's Communications Director, and with me are my co-hosts, Ken Martin, Chairman of the DFL Party. Brian, we made it. Number two. Episode two. I'm really proud of us. And with us as well is DFL Research Director Will Davis. How you doing, Will? I'm doing all right. Thank you, uh, folks, for having me here today. It's, uh, it's some exciting stuff. Uh, so before we get to voter the, the ID, fans love it. I, I think it's uh, universal. Yes, uh, the reviews have been extremely positive. Uh, everyone loves us, and uh, I think we've already won the 2022 elections. <laughs> kind of take wow. a break from here. The plan's working perfectly, Ken. You did it. Wow. <laughs> All right, so let us get into our news rundown. And our first story of the week is that Republican candidate for governor Scott Jensen is going to court to block kids from receiving the COVID-19 vaccine. So former state senator and Republican candidate for governor Scott Jensen signed on to a court filing alongside a group called America's Frontline Doctors, which is seeking to halt the vaccination of children ages 12 to 15. The petition that he signed accused the COVID vaccines of being dangerous biological agents that have the potential to cause greater harm than the COVID disease itself and compared the vaccines to Nazi medical experiments. Jensen has received a uh, lot of criticism from this from us and many others, and it seems uh, pretty absurd. Well, look, as Governor Walls and DFL legislators are safely leading us out of this pandemic, you have the Republican Party's leading candidate for governor um, joining a fringe group of doctors and insurrectionists to spread dangerous misinformation. Uh, And then, of course, after he's been called out on these claims uh, that he never even read the petition he signed on to, um, he he has not taken responsibility for this. Real leaders take responsibility for their actions, uh, but Scott Jensen is clearly incapable of doing that. Uh, once again, Jensen is demonstrating why the people of Minnesota cannot trust him to lead our state. And I, I, I got to tell you, if I were a patient of Scott Jensen's, I would find a new doctor immediately. <laughs> no one wants a physician who reads part of their lab work before making a diagnosis. That's right, because he said he, he read or skimmed the first 10 pages of the court filing that his name is on. And it just it's extremely irresponsible, especially for something as important as vaccinating children from a global pandemic. This is always the danger. We've done a lot of work here at the party and a lot of local reporters have done, uh, namely at the Minnesota Reformer, have done a lot of work talking about Minnesota Republicans and their growing. And this was happening before the covid um disaster, but they had a growing anti-vaccine movement in their party, Mm -hmm, and it started mm -hmm. as a trickle, and it's really picked up steam. Then COVID happened, and this is the danger of that rhetoric. They They can never stop the snowball from rolling downhill. It always gets more and more extreme to the point that their leading contender for governor is comparing vaccinations with Nazi medical experiments in World War II. Well, and that's also not the uh, first bit of vaccine misinformation that he spread, not mm-hmm. even by a long shot. Uh, can you play clip two? Let's uh, let's listen to some of the uh, other statements that Scott Jensen's made about vaccinations. The CDC itself has acknowledged that there's hundreds of deaths strongly connected with when the COVID, COVID-19 vaccine was given. 
Some there's data indicates that the number is somewhere between three to 5,000. First of all, it's important to establish that what Scott Jensen said there is just not true. The data that he was citing from VAERS, which is the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, is a database that anyone can add anything they want to. So let's say I get my Moderna vaccine. I can then go on there and say, you know what? It gave me the side effect of it was that I can now fly. I could add that in there and that would be counted as an uh, adverse event and reported in that database. I want that vaccine. Oh my gosh, right? I want to be invisible too. (laughs) Do you think Scott Jensen prints out Wikipedia articles, which anybody can add to and like reads it to his clients about? (laughs) I was just thinking like, I remember in school and teachers were like, don't cite Wikipedia. Anyone can add to it. But at least in Wikipedia, you have to actually cite your sources. With Veras, you can just say, you know what? I got vaccinated and horrible things happened. I have when webbed feet not now. true. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And he should absolutely know better than that. As a doctor, he should know how this data should and should not be used. And saying that there were thousands of deaths connected to the COVID-19 vaccine is spreading such dangerous misinformation. I mean, he's just reading crowdsourced gibberish and considering it fact and spreading it out to, you know, all his thousands of TikTok followers or whatever. You know, when Jensen announced his run for governor, the DFL party put out a uh, statement that called him dangerous. And he's made a bunch of hay out of it, taken a lot of umbrage at it. But this is what we were referring to when we talked about that. He is actively lying about a vaccine to a pandemic that's killed so many people across this country and across the world. And he has a lot of followers. A lot of people listen to him, and it's just genuinely dangerous well, things as, that he's saying. You know, as Daniel uh, Patrick Moynihan once said, you're entitled to your um, uh, you know, own opinions, but you're not entitled to your own facts. And the reality is, is the reason this is dangerous is, you know, someone who is that brazen that they're going to lie about information and spread willfully spread misinformation uh, is not fit to not only be our governor, but not fit to be in public office at all, which is why he was only in office for just a few years there. The reality is, is um, you know, I'm glad he's not in office at this point, but Minnesotans need to be uh, aware that this guy is dangerous and we can't take a, a chance on him leading our state, particularly when we have two good leaders right now and Governor Walls and Lieutenant Governor Flanagan who are actually leading in a responsible way and leading us out of this pandemic. Could not agree more. That's all the time we have for Scott Jensen today, but stay tuned for the upcoming 10-part special on why he should not be our next governor. Uh, The Texas State House Democrats staged a walkout on Sunday night to block the passage of some of the worst and most restrictive voter suppression bills in the country. The Texas Republican bill would have had a lot of harmful effects, including allowing courts to throw out elections if there were allegations of voter fraud, banning ballot drop boxes, banning elected officials from sending vote-by-mail applications to voters who did not request them, and even making that a felony. So what do we think? Texas Democrats taking a stand, fighting back against voter suppression? Well, at least uh, someone in this country has actually literally taken a stand to defend our democracy. Uh, The number of bills that have been introduced around the country right now to actually take away one of the most fundamental rights that we have in this country, the right to vote, is astounding. And, uh, you know, again, I'm proud of the Texas Democrats. I'm proud of uh, the folks who around this country right now recognize what this uh, really is. And it is a brazen attempt by the Republicans to disenfranchise. Franchise, uh, thousands and thousands of people across this country, disproportionately, by the way, black and brown people in our country. It's a decades-long project by 
the conservative right in this country to strip voting rights away. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to talk about this a little more, but it was really the stage was set in 2013 when the Supreme Court overturned the Voting Rights Act. And this is this is kind of the outcome, what we're seeing now. This isn't just an accident after 2020. This is a decades long project. Exactly. No, when they when they gutted the when the Shelby v uh, or Shelby County v Holder case came out and gutted a key plank of the Voting Rights Act, uh, it really did set the stage for this because normally states with a history of racist voting laws would have had to apply for what's called pre-clearance with the federal government, meaning they wanted to make certain changes to voting laws, and so they'd have to like apply for basically permission right. to make sure that they were not kind of trying to disenfranchise people again. With that gone, that opened the floodgates for this kind of terrible legislation, and we are uh, even seeing some of that emerge here in Minnesota, which uh, we're going to talk about when we come back for Behind the Press Release. Welcome to Behind the Press Release, where we take you on an in-depth look at the issues shaping Minnesota politics. For this segment, we've got a special guest, voting rights lawyer, pro-democracy organizer, and state representative Emma Greenman. Emma, welcome to the podcast. Our our very first guest (laughs) on our second podcast. I'm so excited. It's nice to be here in this beautiful studio. (laughs) It's nice. Taj Mahal here. (laughs) (laughs) Microphones that work. I feel like that. Imagine that. (laughs) And a lot of like very colorful lights. It's uh, it's a really cool room. We'll uh, we'll post some photos. And I'll warn you, I like Kurt Dowd. Like to use the mute button a lot. So <laughs> be warned. <laughs> Thank God he doesn't have it. <laughs> he doesn't have the gavel. <laughs> All right. So uh, before we get into the Republican push for voter ID here in Minnesota, uh, Emma, can you share your thoughts on the Texas uh, voter suppression bill and sort of the national push that Republicans are making to suppress the vote? Yeah. Thank you. And I'm I'm really glad we're talking about it right now. And I think we've been talking about it. Uh, frankly, as a voting rights lawyer, I've been fighting this fight for decades. Um, and we all know we come into this as the long history of um, disenfranchisement and the, the the arc that we take towards justice, but knowing that you know a lot of what we're seeing is in response to the the uh, the high voter turnout and also particularly the high voter turnout and the high political engagement of Black and Brown Indigenous folks of young folks of this new American majority that we um, really saw see have seen come out. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in Georgia in 2018 uh, alongside Stacey Abrams. I was in uh, Arizona in um, 2016, and really the the power of that organizing and of the political uh, um, is is what we're seeing a reaction to. And so I think it's important that, make no mistake, this is not about uh, voter uh, uh, fraud. This is about voter turnout. And um, and so when we look at what happened in Texas, um, we can see, and I think your overview was great, because we sort of see the same strands through all of these these, you know, Texas was the most recent, um, but we saw it in Georgia, we saw it in Arizona, we saw it in Florida, and we are seeing it in other places, including um, when we get to talking about Minnesota. But I think what's helpful to think about, and just if I can give a framework, because it shows back up in Minnesota, this is both voter restriction, but it is also a lot more um, this year. Um, and, and as somebody who has been chasing a lot of this stuff really since before Shelby County, right? We've been, we've seen the rise of voter ID since 2005, 2006. We saw it here in 2012. Um, but what we see is one, the, uh, 
policies to restrict the vote, right? Making it harder to vote. We saw that in Texas, uh, limiting absentee ballots, limiting polling place hours. Um, and we saw that in Georgia and Arizona um, and frankly here in Minnesota. Um, but we're also seeing, and we've seen this um, in particularly in some of those uh, um, uh, voter suppression states that call them uh, efforts to criminalize voter outreach. So making it a crime uh, to, um, uh, making it very hard to do nonpartisan voter uh, registration. Um, in these last set of bills, uh, criminal penalties for elections officials who send out uh, uh, absentee ballot applications. We saw that in Texas. It was also in the Georgia um, and and, uh, Florida bill. Um, And then I think the things that are newer, um, because we've seen a lot of that criminalization of voter registration um, for the last five or ten years, um, giving partisan um, uh, actors sort of control over our polling places and elections um, administration. So that looks like um, in the Florida bill, in the the Texas bill, it's sort of allowing poll watchers, partisan poll watchers, uh, to roam freely without elections officials be really being able to, to control the environment of the polling place. Um, in Georgia, it's giving uh, the uh, uh, legislative appointed, so the partisan elections board control over local elections. Um, we've seen that with the elections audits um, and what's happening in Arizona right now, sort of the ability to reach back after an election that everybody said was good. Um, and then the most extreme, um, which is in the Texas bills and in Georgia bills, which is actually giving part is it legislative state actors the ability to potentially overturn a democratically free and fair election and that is new um and i'd say that that is a reaction to 2020 um and and we need to with all the seriousness we bring this entire fight um it is an escalation uh of a fight that we've been having for a while that is really really critical yeah and i want to put this in the context because in the emma mentioned this in the last election more people voted than ever before in this country and that's really what this is about but since then since that election, more than 389 bills have been introduced across the country, which would make it harder for Americans to vote. Um, in all, 14 states have now enacted 22 n- new laws, making it harder to vote. Um, so we know, again, our democracy is strongest when more people participate, and it's weaker when people are left out. But the reality is, is we're seeing new, to Emma's point, new and very extreme measures being introduced. Even in Georgia, they made it a penalty <laughs> to give someone a glass of water if they're standing in line. I mean, for God's sake, where, where are we, where are we going to draw the line here? At the end of the day, we should be making it, uh, we should allow everyone who wants to and is, is legally uh, um, allowed to cast a vote to be able to cast that vote. But Republicans are putting every single barrier in front of people's ability to cast their most fundamental right in this country, which is their right to participate in their democracy. We've seen decades of voter suppression efforts from the far right, but what, what I... They seem like they're really turning the screws up this time. And is that a function of the Voting Rights Act? Or is this just failed efforts in the past and they continue to lose standing in each of their state? I mean, what do you think explains that? It's cumulative. Mm -hmm. And so what we have seen... So the, the... the gutting of the Voting Rights Act, of so Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, has, um, has made it so that we don't have the, the Section 2, which is still around, mm-hmm. just makes it much harder, right? You go to court, it takes years. We see that on redistricting, right, five or six years later. Um, and so it just makes harder, in addition to, and just 
to name the the real sort of hyperpartisan takeover of the courts by the Trump administration has made it harder to get relief. So the federal courts are not going to save us, even when there's good good law on the books. Um, but the other piece is this is cumulative. So um, the what we saw a lot of the the things we've seen them tested out for years in states are now going like wildfire. So come back to voter ID for a second. We saw you know in Indiana and Georgia, and then we saw it spread and spread and spread. It was not solving a problem. And in fact, the, the, the issue now that Republicans, that my Republican colleagues in the House say is the, the extremes will say voter fraud, but lots of people are like, people have questions. And it's like mm-hmm. voter ID mm-hmm. and the flies right. around voter ID have actually created that that tension. And so part of the where we are now is is a response, but it's also building on itself, right? It's like we have had these fights in a lot of states and it's just getting worse. Um, it's not new. That's actually a really good segue to uh, the bill here in Minnesota. And to uh, to set that up, uh, can you play clip three? Let's listen to uh, Republican Minority Leader Kurt Dowd discuss his thoughts around folks who have questions about the uh, results of the 2020 elections. Sorry, Emma. We don't get to just decide if people are wrong and that they shouldn't, you know, be they shouldn't have the opinion that they have. What we need to do as leaders is recognize that there is a swath of, of our population uh, that believes that the election maybe wasn't fair or that you know the result wasn't you know fair. Uh, what we need to do is instill confidence back into them that our system is fair. And that, and that doesn't mean uh, ignoring their concerns. It means listening to them and, and finding out why. I do know and 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 I think we have to take some action to put some things in place in our state to make sure that people do have confidence in our elections. So I want first on on this because I have to listen to them every day. On the, Fair the, point. The House floor, but I will say this: I don't quote Senator Mitt Romney very often, but what he has said in response to this is the way to restore confidence, people's confidence, is to tell them the truth. And that's, I think, that the thing, there is not, we have to tell the truth and have an honest conversation. We absolutely, and, and a lot of, we, we need to be listening to people about why they feel shut out of the process. We need to be listening to people about why they don't think that the legislature or Congress can get things done that they want. Um, and frankly, on, on the issues that I work on are nonpartisan. They're not, they're about ensuring that every person Every region, every zip code, and every political persuasion can vote. But people are feeling like my elected officials aren't voting for paid family leave. They're not getting a budget done. They're all of these things. And what Kurt Dow comes back to is we should listen to the the conspiracy theories and lies that Mm -hmm. we created. Mm -hmm. They burned the house down. And then they're like, we just need to sit here and listen to people talk about how we burned. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, you know, (laughs) as I've always said, this is a solution in search of a problem. In 2010, I managed the recount uh, for uh, Governor Dayton and that gubernatorial recount. Two years before that, there was a recount here in 2008 in the U.S. Senate race. In both cases, uh, over 3 million ballots uh, in 2008 and in 2010 were hand counted here in Minnesota. And there is no massive voter fraud found in this state. And around the country now, there's been how many court cases and how many uh, and uh, uh, recounts that have been conducted. And again, no widespread orchestrated uh, voter fraud that's been discovered in this country. And so I, I get 
I, I, I truly understand uh, that there's concern out there, but that concern has never been backed up by evidence or fact. Well, and don't take uh, the chair of the DFL's party's word for it. Take the, the Department of Homeland Security into the Trump mm-hmm. administration, the mm-hmm. Department of Justice in the Trump administration, 60 plus federal courts. This is not a talking point. This is actually hard fact and hard fact that Democrats, Republicans and independents have have said. And frankly, it's why some of this uh, um, these uh, these bills go after uh, Republican elections officials who did their job and said, we're going to count the votes and, the, and, and tell you what what the outcome is. You know, we've seen this from a lot of Minnesota Republican elected officials of they will for a few months after the 2020 elections, they ran around talking about irregularities. Uh, representatives Hagedorn, Emmer, and Stauber all signed on to a lawsuit uh, before the Supreme Court trying to overturn the results of the 2020 elections. Michelle Fishbach openly accused Democrats of essentially voter fraud, yet they run around making all these allegations and accusations. And then when they actually come to you know, making their peace with what happened in the 2020 elections. They don't actually run around saying that the elections were fair with anything close to that degree of energy, emphasis. They will quietly put it out there that, oh, yeah, well, Joe Biden's a legitimate president-elect. So, and it's so frustrating. Two different audiences, so, right? local state legislative angle, there were 15 state legislators, including uh, Senator Kiffmeyer, right, who heads the, the Senate's um, state government elections bill, who signed a letter asking them to add Minnesota to the set of states that they were asking the Supreme Court to throw out the uh, the free and fair, the 3.7 million votes cast. But I also think it's really important that we talk about, they're not talking about this happening in their districts. This is, a, this is race mm-hmm. baiting right. and it's immigrant baiting, it's baiting students. It is absolutely about, it's not just about sort of there's fraud, right? It is when we heard about it on the House floor, we heard lies about ballots and trunks in the smaller community mm-hmm. when we hear about it. So I, I just think it's really important that um, it is fueling an end to this, this sense of division and hate because they actually don't want to talk about the issues, right? They don't want to compete with us on issues. They don't want to compete with us on uh, on policy. They are trying to change the rules so that they're increasingly white and increasingly um, non-representative uh, um, uh Members and also issues mm-hmm. uh, um, control. Exactly. And that is in your introduction, you talked about the rise in pro-democracy organizing uh, and, you know, how much great work uh, a lot of folks have done to ensure that anyone who wants to cast a ballot can. This incredible wave of organizing that happened is Uh, in part why Republicans have introduced these bills instead of doing that organizing work themselves, trying to, yeah, win the arguments, they are responding by passing these restrictive measures, or at least trying to, and it's really frustrating. I I think it's important, you know, not only are Republicans on the wrong side of demographic trends, but they've done nothing to uh, put themselves in a position to actually appeal to voters in this country and the new rising American electorate, the majority of voters before too long, they they continue to appeal oppose any efforts or, or legislation that would actually improve the lives of so many Americans and, and here in this state, so many Minnesotans. And then they wonder why they can't uh, win their votes. Well, they can't win because they're doing nothing to improve people's lives. At the end of the day, the only way they can win is by suppressing the votes of people who disagree with them. And that's not what a democracy that's is right. about. And to Emma's point, now, yes, I'm the chair of the DFL, but I care first and foremost about our democracy because a democracy only works as 
especially our representative democracy, only works when we have two vibrant, healthy parties that are engaged in a, a real legitimate debate about the issues that matter to the American people. And we don't have that right now because you have one party who is willfully trying to destroy our democracy by suppressing the voices of people who should be participating. That's what this is about. And it's just wrong. You know, Representative Greenman, one thing uh, we were hoping you could talk to us a little bit about is what is, you know, actually in the Minnesota Republican bill to uh, implement uh, voter ID. Yeah. And I'm glad we're talking about this because I think, you know, there is dramatic stuff happening everywhere, but it is absolutely, and what's happening here in, in the legislature is tied to that. This is not sort of a one-off, we're bringing it back, like old hits. This is tied to the wave that we're seeing all over the country. It's tied to, the, and if you if you read the, the papers about the, the tens of millions of dollars that's going in from far right-wing groups um, to, to fund this. And so it mm-hmm. is a coordinated effort. Um, in, the, in the Senate, we saw this year as a high priority and if folks saw, you know, the first thing when we were doing budget negotiations that the two of the four policy priorities of, of Senator Gazaka and the Senate majority was uh, voter ID and provisional balloting. And those are the two things. Um, there's, there's a few others, though, that I want to make sure that folks are paying attention to because they sort of get slipped in there. So voter ID, um, which we have seen um, in 2012, we saw it on the ballot and we saw Minnesotans go and say and reject it. It is back again um, and it is is a, um, another opportunity to put restrictions to add a ton of administrative hurdles. We have a good system, and if, if anybody is interested, listen, just listen to Secretary of State Steve Simon talk to you about how we verify both eligibility and uh, prove residency. We have a good system that's been working for decades, um, and nobody's questioning that, right? Um, so voter ID um, is back. Um, along with it is provisional balloting, um, which folks in Minnesota are not familiar with, which is good, um, but this provision provisional balloting bill particularly would would mean we'd go from you can you go you show up you uh, uh, you prove your eligibility and then you vote you prove residency to four different kinds of ballots uh, because if you don't have the right ID on election day or if you're not registered on election day you'd have to cast a provisional ballot which is a maybe ballot which may or may not be counted and what we've seen is all over the country um, provisional balloting is actually um, which was started as a fail-safe for places without same-day registration um, leads to hundreds, thousands, and in some cases, hundreds of thousands of ballots not being counted. So we don't need that. Mm -hmm. And it would functionally end same-day registration, which we have been proud to have since the 1970s, since my uh, mentor, Joan Groh, Secretary of State Joan Groh, implemented it. But and then the other two pieces I just wanted to flag because they're buried in here, but are dangerous and sort of follow the same trends, right, is one is in the in the the state government provision, um, Senator Kiffmeyer and her caucus added a uh, audit of the 2020 election. um, And um, which is really, again, about creating this creating nothing out of uh, creating something out of nothing Mm -hmm. um, and going back. We have already done our post-election audits. We've we've, we're done with that. And then the other thing is there is a provision that would allow um, 
basically require election uh, uh, judges to declare their partisan affiliation and then turn those lists over to parties. And what that's really about is what we've seen, which is an increasing um, pressure and harassment and attacks on local um, election judges and elections officials. Local elections administrators are very concerned about it because they think it'll mean that they really can't recruit local election judges. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I remember actually in Wisconsin, I had to cast a provisional ballot because I tried to vote with my student ID. And in an effort to suppress the vote of young people, of students, the Wisconsin state legislature passed a voter ID law that specifically said that college IDs do not count. And so I was unable to cast an actual ballot. I had to cast a provisional ballot and then go to my county clerk's office, show them the proper identification to be able to cast uh my vote. And the thing is, I was a college student. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a Wisconsin driver's license. And so the hurdles that I had to jump through were pretty severe just to be able to vote. And it is really, really frustrating to not to walk into your polling place and not be able to vote because partisans are scared you're going to vote the wrong way, yep. in their opinion. And that is why the governor's race in 2022 is so important. This is where I put my partisan hat on. 7,000 votes. I think it was like 7,000 some votes uh, uh, that Mark Dayton won by. 8,750. Okay. 8,000. <laughs> That, that <laughs> round up to 9,000. But that is the amount of votes that are the difference between where Minnesota's at right now and, and fighting to defend. But really, and, and I'm excited to come back on another day to talk about the work that we're going to do to strengthen because we can't less rest on our laurels. But and what's happened to your point, your experience in Wisconsin, because before that election, the, the a lot of the election administration and a lot of the things looked a lot sim- more similar. And so we are these issues are on the ballot in Minnesota in 2022. Um, and right. so it's important that folks remember it's, that. And, and let me just say it's disgraceful in our state of Minnesota, where both parties over many years have taken great pride in the fact that we lead the nation in voter turnout, that you now have Republicans in this state who are actually trying to dismantle mantle that. In Maine and Minnesota are the two uh, states that actually uh, continuously lead the nation in turnout. And one of the things they have in common is that they were the first two states to pass same-day registration. And the reason that provisional balloting is so uh, harmful is, you know, we have in the in the criminal justice system, presumably anyways, we have this presumption of innocence, right? Uh, that you're presumed innocent before guilty. And as it relates to voting here, uh, provisional balloting basically is 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 saying that you are presumed guilty right. uh, before uh, you can cast your vote, and you have to prove that you're eligible before you actually vote. It, the reality is, is that again, this almost every one of these voter restriction laws that are being pushed around the country are a solution in search of a problem. There is no problem that exists as it relates to uh, people participating. The only problem that exists is the barriers that the Republicans continue to erect to people exercising their fundamental right in this country to participate in their democracy. They're taking their orders from QAnon message boards and a pillow salesman ultimately. (laughs) And the Koch brothers. And the Koch brothers, (laughs) yes indeed. Cool party, good friends. Uh, um, Yeah. Exactly. There are powerful actors at play here. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of good 
things we could be working on together that are um, uh, about if people want to talk about actually making our election system better uh, 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 and more expansive and more secure as we do that. Automatic voter registration is a great opportunity. It's been, and again, most of the the, the, the reforms that the Republicans are calling hyperpartisan in Minnesota have been passed in red states and blue states. And so I do think it's really important as we think about these issues that, again, election administration, voting, how we administer Loss. These are not bipartisan issues. They are nonpartisan issues that really are about ensuring that 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 every person can participate and that every ballot is cast. Representative Greenman, you brought up the importance of the 2022 uh, gubernatorial race uh, and why we need to uh, make sure that uh, Republican does not become governor of Minnesota. Uh, we'd just like to get your thoughts on a proposal that our dear friend, friend of the pod, Scott Jensen, has been making <laughs> as far as a voting bill goes. Let's let's listen to Scott Jensen. And let me preface this again by saying I'm sorry for what you're about to feel here. You never want me back. <laughs> for the next election in 2022, in November, we've got to have election judges with body cams and GoPro cameras on their head, filming everything, everywhere, all day long, so that there right. will be much shenanigans. And then, Prince, we can't afford to win by 2%. we got to win by 10% so nobody can steal the election. GoPros. So, go, GoPros on election judges, mass surveillance of voters. What do you think? For Approved. or against? <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> I think that statement can apply to uh, Scott Whoa. Jensen broadly. Yeah, no thank you for him or that idea. Well, if you want to win by 10%, again, you need to Become appeal. a Democrat, <laughs> run on our issues. Yeah. Or, or, you know what? Again, here's a novel concept for Republicans. If you want to win and win big... Then actually try having a conversation with voters in this state about what they want. What are their dreams and aspirations for their community? What do they want for their families, right? And then how do you deliver on that as an elected official or a candidate? But you know what? They refuse to have that conversation. They live in their bubble, and they don't want to actually address the real issues facing Minnesotans. So they create issues to create fear and panic, and that's how they think they're going to win. But you don't win on fear and panic. You win on hope. You win on uh, on people's aspirations and their hopes for their communities. That's how you win. If you want to win by 10%, that's how you're going to win. And we also need to win the, the, the state Senate majority and keep the House. And I think that that's how we do it on all of those. It is absolutely on the issues that, that impact people's lives. Could not agree more. And with that, we are going to take a break and bring you our call to action. And with this week's Minnesota DFL call to action is Brian Evans, our communications director. Thank you so much, Ken. We are so excited to have started this podcast. It's something that we've been talking about for a while, and we are so glad to be, you know, here with uh, here with folks kind of communicating in different ways, trying to spread our message as broadly as possible to as many audiences as possible. And so our call to action this week is if you like this podcast, if you think the information we're presenting is useful, valuable, interesting, informative, please share it with your friends. Word of mouth is incredibly helpful. So if you have folks you know that would like this podcast, tell them about it. Uh, you can also go to dfl.org slash podcast. Everyone can find it there on Spotify, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Podcasts, everything. And then if you like it, uh, also rate it, uh, rate it five stars on iTunes. Leave a helpful comment. Those are really, really uh, useful in terms of the way that iTunes recommends other podcasts to folks. So, uh, yeah, just please help us spread the word, and hopefully we can get a bunch of listeners and keep this going indefinitely.
We are back with uh, this week's DFL trivia, and this time I'm going to be tossing it to DFL party chairman Ken Martin. Ken, what's our trivia question? Well, trivia aficionados, we're back with another question, but before we announce the question, we do need to let you know who won last week's That's trivia. That's why Ken's the boss. <laughs> uh, last week's winner was Mary Mary, congratulations. You have won a $25 gift card to the DFL online store. Don't spend it all in one place. We've got a lot of great uh, merchandise on there at dfl.org backslash store. Oh, I like the applause, Will. (laughs) High production value here. There you go. Now, the question this week, again, for all of you aficionados of trivia, DFL trivia, and Minnesota politics trivia, how many Minnesotans voted against the 2012 voter ID ballot initiative Again, how many Minnesotans voted against the 2012 Minnesota Voter ID Ballot Initiative? Okay, we're not looking for a percentage here. We're looking for the raw number of voters. And no, Representative Greenman cannot win this trivia. (laughs) I'm sure she has it memorized. Folks and can, no cheating. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Folks can uh, send their answers to podcast at dfl.org. That is podcast at dfl.org. And we are instituting a new rule this week, which is limit one answer per uh, <laughs> per Minnesotan. Yeah, some some folks threw some uh, a few answers out there. So. Okay, well, there you go. Also, throw your constructive compliments at that uh, email address as well. Yes, we love feedback, uh, especially if it's positive, but... Uh, uh, no, actually, if you have any thoughts, I like it all. anything you'd like to, anyone you'd like to hear from, anything you'd like to hear us discuss, please do let us know at podcast at dfl.org. And with that, we are going to take a short break and bring you our last segment, You Betcha OGs. Welcome back to the DFL Debrief. On this, our last segment, uh, You Betcha OGs, we give a shout out to, uh, we give an oh betcha to someone who has had a good week or someone who has done something good, and an OGs to someone who has had uh, a bit of a rough week. So, uh, Representative Greenman, who does your You Betcha go to? My You Betcha goes to the Texas uh, State House Democrats. Oh, You Betcha, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, I think this is where we started, but I will say, as somebody who is also in the state house here in Minnesota, what I most appreciate about what they did is they used the levers of power they had right in the minority to stand up for something that that impacts Texas but impacts us all. Um, and I think we all sort of can be inspired by that um, action of looking where we have power and actually exercising it uh, to protect the rights of voters. So that they are, they get my you betcha. And then, who does your OGs go to? My OGs goes to the Senate budget chairs. Oh, geez. And those are the Senate budget chairs here in Minnesota. Um, we are, as we are in our uh, negoti- weeks of negotiating the budget, um, it, whether it's education, environment, state government elections, transportation, it seems like their answer to uh, everything is no, including the needs of Minnesotans. Um, so we are going to keep fighting uh, for a budget that reflects folks' values, and I think that that's where we will end up. But man, the obstructionist uh, state budget chairs um, in the Senate, the GOPers, are, are making it difficult. A well-earned OGs, if I've ever heard one. All right, Ken, let's hear let's hear yours. Who who gets your you betcha? Well, Brian, my you betcha for the week goes to President Joe Biden. Oh, you betcha, yeah, yeah. 
President Biden became the first U.S. president to acknowledge the race massacre 100 years ago in Tulsa, Oklahoma. In a stirring speech commemorating this tragic part of America's story, President Biden said this, Just because history is silent, it does not mean that it did not take place. We can't just choose what we want to know and not what we should know. I come here to fill the silence because in silence, wounds deepen. Thank you, President Biden. And uh, what is your OGs for the week? Oh, my gosh. My OGs goes to Senator Joe Manchin and Senator Kirsten Sinema. Oh, geez. This week, they refused to eliminate the filibuster, which has been used by Republicans for years to block progress in this country on a variety of issues. Our democracy is literally being destroyed in broad daylight by the Republican Party, and the only thing that can save it is passing H.R. 1 and the For the People Act, which would ensure that our our most basic and foundational freedom, the right to vote, is protected for all in this country. Could not agree more. Let's do some democracy, folks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the filibuster is not that. That's right. All right, well, let's hear your you betcha. My you betcha this week is the collective Minnesotans who sacrificed a lot over the last year to bring down our positivity rates. Oh, you betcha, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Reporting by the Star Tribune here, Wednesday, meaning today when we recorded, marked the first day since last summer, which was right before the big surge, when four of the five key pandemic measures dropped below Minnesota's high-risk threshold. With the daily new infection rate declining to less than 10 per 100,000 people for the first time since July 8th, and the hospital rate receding to levels last seen in March before the latest wave of the viral spread. I went to a concert this weekend. It was awesome. I was around people. It was it was just so fun to be back doing normal things again. And I think a, so much of that thank you just goes to the everyday person who slapped on a mask, social distanced through tough times, and just sacrificed. I'm not sure even with the pandemic over that I want to be around you, though, Will. Oh, <laughs> You don't want to do a mosh pit with me, Ken? It'd be super fun. <laughs> I'd wear a mask. Yeah, we could sell tickets. It'd be our best fundraising event. All right, well, let's hear your OGs. My OGs goes to Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, John Roberts. Oh, geez. John Roberts, who has been a moderate on, on certain pieces, has long been a staunch opponent of voting rights. Uh, and he wrote the majority for what we talked about earlier, Shelby County versus Holder, the case that really gutted the Voting Rights Act of 1965 and maybe most notably created, as Brian mentioned before, pre-clearance, which required certain states to get federal permission before changing their own voting laws. And why was that? Because of racism and Jim Crow laws. In his majority opinion, he called the VRA an extraordinary measure adopted to address an extraordinary problem, meaning racism, and that conditions that originally justify these measures no longer characterize voting in the covered jurisdictions. So this is where I think we need to uh, remember what Ruth Bader Ginsburg said. Uh, You don't throw out your umbrella in a rainstorm because you're not getting wet. And I think we see the rainstorm. By the way, I I would take great umbrage at you calling John Roberts a moderate. I just said some people see it, right? I mean, John Roberts was given the most powerful judicial position in the country, and he's using it to gut voting rights. Well, how about you, Brian? What is your... You betcha for this week. All right. So uh, this being Pride Month and all, mine are going to be Pride themed. And my you betcha goes to Representative Angie Craig. Oh, you betcha. Yeah. Yeah. 
Representative Craig uh, just introduced a bill to ban LGBTQ discrimination in adoption and fostering. Representative Craig and her wife faced discrimination when they were adopting their eldest son 23 years ago. So this is personal for her. She knows how tough it can be, and she's taking action to change things. So thank you, Representative Craig. Yes, thank you, Angie. And how about your OGs for the week, Brian? My OGs is going to go out to Minnesota's arch homophobe, Paul Gazelka. Oh, geez. Paul Gazelka is one of the most virulently homophobic Minnesota Republican elected officials out there. And it's something that Republicans don't often talk much about anymore. They've recognized that they often lose on issues related to LGBTQ rights, but it has not stopped them from trying to legislate against LGBTQ people and from holding incredibly harmful beliefs. Senator Gazelka blocked a bill banning LGBTQ conversion therapy. He said that sexual assault and bad parenting can turn people gay, and he's just a deeply bigoted person. So enjoy that, OGs, Paul. You earned it. Well, and you've, you left out an important part of uh, Paul Gazelka's character, which is the fact that he forced his uh, daughter into uh, conversion therapy. And, you know, the reality is, is uh, you know, we need elected officials uh, who are empathetic, and uh, but more importantly, uh, you know, for him as a father to force his own daughter into conversion therapy, I mean, that is just shameful. Incredibly cruel. And we cruel. need to pass that ban. That's right. Absolutely. And when DFRs take back the majority in 2022, that's uh, going to be one of the highest priorities on our list. So, Emma Greenman, thank you so much for joining us. You know what was great about having Emma in? I, w- I was thinking we should change the name of this podcast to Three White Men in a Pod. But now that we have now that we have Emma on as our first guest, I'm so excited. Lady lawyer. <laughs> there you go. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Emma. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it's wonderful to be here. Fantastic. We'll have to uh, come back and join us very soon. 